Hey everybody, this is Phil Town. And this is Danielle Town. And welcome to the Invested Podcast, where we are deeply invested with the double entendre in learning, <laughs> in learning investing, Warren Buffett style, Charlie Munger style, not really value investing the way, you know, you buy 200 stocks and they're all super cheap with a PE of six. Not really that way. We're really looking at just buying a lot of value for a really good price. That's oh, it. I like that. And, not and a lot of value stocks, just a lot of value. Just a lot I of like value. That. And I really want to make that distinction because this investing style or this investing strategy is used by Warren Buffett to buy farm operations, to buy housing, to buy buildings, uh, to own an entire business, and to buy public stocks. And it is, in other words, anything, including buying soybeans and, or coffee beans and taking them downtown and selling them for more than you paid, any of that falls under our strategy of investing that we call Rule One Investing. And we're only calling it Rule One Investing because it reflects Warren Buffett's contention that it's only investing when you when you focus on not losing money, that you intend mm -hmm. to buy something that you're very, very certain you'll be able to sell for more than what you paid for it or for what you paid for it. So you have very little, if any, downside at all. And you have a lot of upside. And Monash Pabrai calls it, you know, uh, investing when it's like getting a free lottery ticket. You, you, you're not going to lose money on your lottery ticket ever. And it may take off and be a big winner. And yeah. Warren, so Warren actually says, go ahead. I was just going to ask you what rule number one is. And rule number one is don't lose money. And rule number two is don't forget rule number one. And Warren Buffett. Oh, there it is. There you go. Rule, <laughs> Warren Buffett starts off by saying there's really only one rule of, in, or only two rules of investing and makes a joke about it because there's only one. And if we focus on that, whether we're buying the house next door, um, uh, which, by the way, you'll find out if you try to do it rule one investing style is extremely difficult when real estate takes off and is running hot. Um, it's very mm -hmm. difficult to buy the house next door as a decent investment. Right. You've you got to pay up um, to the point where right now in Vancouver, uh, Canada, because so much Chinese money is coming out of China into something that they believe will be a stable currency in anticipation of China going through a big upheaval in its economy down the road. It's just a hedge, right, for rich people to uh, hedge against the economy in China. So wealthy Chinese are buying buildings and houses in Vancouver, and they've driven the price so high now that you could put your money into a 10-year T-bill for the next 10 years. Oh, man, you could put your money into a 30-year Treasury note for the next 30 years, and you'll get a higher return than you would on the rent from that apartment if you hmm. bought it in cash. They're, they're buying it at two cap rates and one cap rates. Uh, yeah, the real means, estate going up in big cities, or I mean, London is the same. It's just insane. And it's um, a high number of foreign people coming in and buying real estate and then not actually living there, which is creating actually like crime problems because people aren't living in the houses. They don't rent them out. They just leave them empty. So it's Zurich's different because there's all sorts of laws here about um, foreigners owning real estate. So they've avoided that problem in Zurich. But it's, yeah, it's interesting to see what happens in cities when people come from around the world simply to park money. I think that we could learn a lot from Switzerland, honestly. Um, they do a very, very, they have a very strong culture of 
protecting their citizens in ways that other countries don't really think about in the interest in the in the idea of being open and free trade and more open borders and so on. Of course, right political hot button, but I think you can see that there's a pretty significant impact on, like say, Canadians living in Vancouver to the point where uh, they have put a tax on you if you start to buy stuff from overseas. So there, anyway, yeah. the, the, the point is not to get all into that. The point yeah. is, that, <laughs> is that we want to invest. And when we're investing, we have some very strict guidelines about what kind of price value relationship there is. We want to buy stuff for about half of what they're worth. And it's very difficult to do that in real estate, very difficult to do that in farming operations because the prices don't respond to sort of day-to-day -day, uh, news issues the way the stock market does. The stock market is rampantly emotional compared to uh, real estate and, and farm operations. And that is something we should talk about today in the context of Chipotle dropping like a brick just hmm. these past few days. Okay, so before we, as we come to Chipotle, because we were talking about options for the last few days, last few episodes, um, and you were using Chipotle as the company that you were talking about with those options, um, we got a great question from David at our questions email, which is questions at investedpodcast.com. Send your emails. Um, we do read them, even if we don't get to them very often on the air, but there are such good questions from you guys. So David asked, to you were talking about protecting an, a, an equity position, protect, protecting stock that you own with options. And he said, would you first need to own a minimum of 100 shares of that company? Because options are purchased in one contract at a time and one contract is 100 shares. So he's asking, is the minimum number of shares that you can buy in an option 100 and therefore do you have to own 100 shares in order to have that stock to sell if the option ends up happening does that make sense yes it does um, it makes a lot of sense to me and i'm worried that the vast vast majority of our listeners right now are sitting going we are going down a rabbit hole we don't want to go down you Which guys that's why i true. was like options so david gives an example he says, if we were to buy a put option... So you're going to ignore Chipotle, what I just said, and we're going deeper into options. Oh, I was trying to explicate it further. Oh, go for is it. it. Go is for this it. making it worse? Uh, yeah, but no, don't... Listen, for everybody listening, I promise you, we will not get buried in this. So go ahead. Explicate away. Well, I just think it's a good question, because I was actually wondering it as well. So he says, if you buy a put option on Chipotle for $460, we would need to own $46,000 of the company to sell right? That is true. Okay. Because I was thinking, I was thinking as you were talking in the last episode that, um, that there was some like contract weird, like group of stocks that you had to buy with options and we never mentioned it. And so I was very glad that he asked. About well, that. What, what his point was, is that, gee, does this mean that if we don't have a lot of money, uh, we can only do options on stocks that are priced at low prices per share? And the answer is yes, that's true to a certain degree. Although I really don't want to get into this because um, we do get into this in our in our course uh, here in Atlanta where we spend three days and we ultimately uh, end up showing you how to hedge positions um, and uh, and be effective in using options slightly. We just don't like to talk about it because it's so confusing for people to think about options and I don't want to talk about it much more here. <laughs> Except to say that okay. the gentleman wrote in is correct, that options have 
a kind of historical aberration which says that you must do options in 100 share lots, which are called a mm. contract. And that's regardless just regardless of what price the stock is, regardless, it's just 100 shares. 100 shares. And it, it, it goes back to the days of the commodities world, which is where options come from, um, where brokers didn't want to handle, you know, one orange. You know, I'm not going to I'm not going to buy an orange sure. from you. Yeah. OK, I'm not going to buy uh, 10 pounds of pork bellies. I'm yeah. not going to buy, you know, I'm not going to buy a handful of wheat. So they like it's got to it be worth my while. It's got to be worth my while. So they set up units that were big enough that it would be worth their while to mess with. And um, often these units were in, you know, barrels of oil, not cups of oil. Big enough, right? Bushels yeah. of wheat, not a handful of wheat. Um, and so they, when they did options, they decided to do the same thing. And they just made it a unit uh, of trade, 100 shares of a stock in order for the brokers to have enough shares there because they charge per share when you do the trade, enough shares to make a living. And um, that has become historically unnecessary because now we have computers doing all this stuff uh, and it wouldn't be any big deal to buy one share of stock and then hedge it with a collar uh, by having, you know, one unit, uh, a one, one share short, one share long on, on a put. And so, you could do it. It would be really simple. But there's just this sort of historical thing going on and they haven't changed it. And I don't know if they ever will, but they should. Okay. And there's just no reason not to. Well, it's good to know about. I'm just glad that I know about that. So I'm glad that. Thank you, David, for your question. Yeah, good. Really good question. And um, I want to point out something, though, is that be, because Chipotle just tumbled on having an investor call yesterday. Yeah. It, it dropped from about. Well, four, it wasn't yesterday. We're well, taping this. Right, right. It wasn't yesterday. It was a few days ago. And it, <laughs> the stock during the day went down to, I think, $416 a share from 460 So a very, really quickly. And then it came back up. And right now, as we're taping this, it's uh, it's hovering at about 4:30 something, 4:32 or three or four, and that means that um, my decision to uh, buy a protective option to hedge my position and make sure that I never have to sell it over the next year for less than 460 dollars has turned out to be a pretty good idea. Ta-da! Why is that, okay. you say? Because uh, well, really, no matter what happens to the stock, if it goes down, I can sell it for the next year, anytime, including today. I can so that's force what I wanted that to person. Know. You can sell it anytime. You don't have to do it right now or no. at the end of it. It's anytime, regardless. Anytime, but regardless. Your upside is not going to be more than 500 right? Well, 490 in my case, but a couple of days ago, we talked about 500 which was a better deal. Um, you could have done. And um, that is true. So to to go further into the weeds that I said we wouldn't go into, here we go. So because I just <laughs> well, made I just made a bunch of money. And let me show you how. Um, now, if I decided to exercise this now that the stock is at 433, I can force that person who uh, has the obligation to buy my stock at 460 for the next year. I can force them today to buy it from me for 460. OK. Okay. Right now. So let's say that I do that. I force them to buy it for 460. Now I don't have any stock. But I do right. have I do have a 
an obligation of my own that I sold called a call option that I'm obligated to deliver the stock over the next year, any day, including today, um, at $490 a share. Oh. Okay, so now I don't have any shares. And if this person said, oh, you have to, you have to let me buy your stock for $490 a share, if they said that today, I'd be like, well, okay, I don't have any shares. So what would I have to do? What do you think I'd have to do? If I, if I absolutely have to deliver um, 1,000 shares at $490 a share, what, what, what would I have to do to do that today? You would have to buy them. I would. And how much would I have to pay? For whatever it is. 434 Okay. All right, so I so I just sold my shares for four hundred sixty thousand dollars, a thousand shares. Okay, let's say. Okay, is this real or let's say? I'm not selling them today. <laughs> but so let's this is hypothetical. Could could do. <laughs> so I just collected four hundred sixty thousand hypothetically, and now I'm obligated to sell this moron my stock at four ninety. For some reason, they want to do this. I have no idea why they would. They wouldn't, of course, in the real world. Because they would be paying me $490,000, right? Mm -hmm. And I would have to go out and buy the stock at $434 or $434,000 in order to deliver it to this moron for $490,000. I would mm -hmm. like to do that every day if I could do that. Because guess what? I just made $56,000 on this bonehead because he somehow decided to exercise that option to call in my stock, which I had to give him at four ninety. dollars Right. And I could do that by just replacing my stock at 434, which means nobody would do that. They would all just go they want to buy the stock. They could buy it for four hundred thirty four dollars a share right now. Why pay me four ninety? But let me just get this straight. By doing this caller option, you have committed yourself to owning shares of this stock until those options run out. Yes. Or I have to go into the market and buy those shares immediately upon someone demanding my shares from me if I don't have any. I got to go buy them. I mean, that's pretty intense. It is intense, which is why we make sure we've got that obligation covered by owning stock. Does that make sense? Yeah. So if yes, I were to if I were to but decide this is today, why I was going? Oh my gosh! I hear options are dangerous because of this kind of stuff. Right. You could make you a mistake here. You got to know what you're here. doing. Yeah, you could make a mistake. So don't do this without getting an education. You and yeah. it's right. You really need to get an education from somebody who actually does this stuff. So there's all sorts of know. wrong education out there about options trading. So in any case, what would happen here is if I if I were to decide, all right, I'm going to take this uh, stock right now, which I own, and I'm going to demand that this person buy it from me for 460, which I can do, legit, I can do that. I have a contract. So today I would sell my stock for 460000 and then immediately go buy it back for $434 a share, 434000 So I just sold something at four sixty and bought it back at four thirty-four. Now I'm right back where I was, except I no longer have uh, that right to sell it, right? I own it at four thirty-four. so now I have the downside risk. It could go down. Right. So I, I could do that if I wanted to. And um, and then I would ha I would... Or I could just leave it alone and buy back my, my obligation to sell the stock at 490. I could buy that call back. 
in the market. I, it's very liquid. I could go do it tomorrow, today, and oh. buy it back. Now, here's the interesting thing. I sold that for $51 a share. Okay. I could buy it back today for 36 I think, is what it's selling for right now. Um, so a few days ago, I paid um, $51 to get that obligation, or sorry, I collected $51 to be obligated to sell my stock at 490 And now I can get rid of that obligation by buying that back for 30, I'm looking it up right now. The 490 call is selling for $37.25. So I could buy that back for 37 bucks. And the difference, right, is profit to me. a share in one month on stock I already owned. So this is why people trade options. This is why good investors like Warren Buffett do this kind of options trading. It's very sophisticated. You have no business messing with this until you really understand two very important things, honey. This is for you. Number one. Yeah, I know. <laughs> number one. What You're is going, the, don't get too excited. <laughs> what is the long-term value of this business uh, today? What's the intrinsic value of this business today? If you don't have a very strong view of intrinsic value of a business, you are nuts to be out there playing with options, which is why most options traders lose their money. They're almost all modern portfolio theory people who say that the price and the value are the same all the time, and all they're doing is using formulas uh, called the Black-Scholes formula and in, in implied volatility to determine what options to buy. When we hold an opinion, very strong opinion, that says that's just not true. Modern portfolio theory is wrong, that often price and value are different, and when they are different, it gives you an edge in an options trade. And so don't go in playing options unless you have a very strong opinion of value. Number one, and number two, don't go playing with options until you absolutely have done it for months, or at least weeks, okay? At least back testing, at least doing a lot of work to fully grip, grasp what's going on with an options trade. You cannot just go out there because honestly, if you make a little mistake with an option, it can turn into a very, very big loss. And they will come and get your money. No question mm, about it. Sure. And yeah. I will tell you straight up, honey, 99% on a study done in the state of Washington back in the 90s, they found that 99% of options traders lose money, lose their money, lose all their money. Okay. Jeez. Yeah. It is, it's gambling of the worst sort when you're doing it the way most people trade options and the way most people teach options is crazy. They don't teach options the way Warren Buffett uses them. And Warren Buffett is one of the biggest options traders in the world, if not the largest options trader. He might be the largest. And he doesn't do it with risk. He does it to offset risk. So I, I really sort of regret us going into this rabbit hole um, <laughs> about callers. I wish I never brought it up. But I think really? it's, interesting. It's, it's interesting to note that while other people out there right now not knowing how to protect themselves, um, there is a way to do it. Just don't go do it until you really learn it. Well, I'm really happy that we continued talking about it today because the way we ended it in the last episode was basically like, hey, Danielle, go figure out anything wrong with what I just said. 
I don't know if it was last episode or the one before that. And yet here we are sitting here having discovered something that is like a huge pothole in the road that I didn't see. So I'm very, very glad that this came out today. I think yeah. it's really important to know about. Yeah, let me tell you, the difference between options trading and investing is just like uh, the difference between um, riding a very, very quiet trail horse, you know, that knows the trail and isn't going to jump around when he gets stung with a bee and riding a two-year-old racehorse. The, the difference is that if you don't really, really know what you're going to, what you're doing, uh, you don't need to, to do investing. No, deeply, deeply. All you have to do is follow a few basic principles. Um, but if you don't know what you're doing riding that racehorse, you're going to get, you're going to get badly hurt. So options are a racehorse. Don't mess with options till you really understand. And lest you, you know, lest you misunderstand what I'm saying about investing as being a trail horse, all I mean by that is that if in fact you do understand the business that you're buying and you understand that it's on sale because of some event like a big recession, uh, you're very unlikely to have a problem in the long term. Even if you pay too much for it, time will rectify your error um, just because it's a wonderful business. It's going to continue to compound money for you uh, even if you paid too much for it. And this, of course, is what Charlie Munger wanted you to know. This is what Charlie has changed in uh, with Warren Buffett and what made Berkshire probably the gigantic success business that it is. Yeah. Is that Charlie was basically saying, look, you don't have to get the lowest price here. What you have to get right is that it's a wonderful business. And by a wonderful business, he meant a business that compounds money your money, the money you paid for your stock, it compounds the value of that over time. And the longer you own it, the more the power of compounding kicks in to a point where when you own something for 10 years, you're getting an extraordinary return on that investment year after year by this business compounding the money at 10, 15, 20% a year. It's exploding and you don't really realize it till you've been at it a while that this is making you rich. I also discovered during this uh, Chipotle call, which I paid attention to, thanks to you telling me I need to pay more attention, and um, I have not listened to it, but I've read the news articles about it, and from an experiential investing practice perspective, it's been really extraordinary for me to notice what happened to me through this, and you were just saying that the... Um, the principles of investing that Charlie Munger has given us, you know, is a way to handle investing when you don't totally know everything that you're doing. And I certainly totally don't know everything that I'm doing. And yet I have felt so peaceful and calm um, as an owner of Chipotle and, and sort of watching this little blip. And here I'm even describing it dismissively as a little blip in the stock price. I don't know, maybe it's going to be a long time. I have no idea, but I, maybe I'm wrong, no idea, but I have full confidence in my choice. And that really is extraordinary when it comes to giving your money up to this sort of behemoth of a market. So I'm noticing that and really appreciating that about this practice of investing. Uh, honey, that is the most remarkable thing to hear. Um, here's this stock has gone down. 
did and yet you're you're in the face of this kind of volatility or turmoil or high high winds and high seas suddenly coming out of nowhere um you're pretty calm about it all and what is it did you what did you see in the articles that would indicate that chipotle said something that the ceo of chipotle said something that would give people concern about the long-term uh, value of this business. Anything? Well, apparently what he did was he didn't give enough detail about the way that he was going to turn around the company. Um, and so they didn't give any earnings guidance for the future, which, by the way, Warren Buffett and Jamie Dimon recently wrote a fascinating op-ed in the Wall Street Journal coming out against quarterly earnings guidance and saying that companies should no longer do them because it's creating short-termism in the market. Um, check that out in the Wall Street Journal. It came out uh, beginning of June, I think. I so and agree. It's, a, it's really good. And so basically what I saw when I read these articles about the call, and again, I haven't listened to it, was that First of all, he was too vague, and secondly, um, and didn't give enough numbers. And all these short-term investors who want to be in and out of this company within a few months can't deal with that, which I understand. That's their business. They are looking for the next few months, and they don't care about the long term. So what they were looking for was, here's exactly what's going to happen. And then they, the stock price would go up and then these guys would sell and it would just all be like a great win. And, and they're not looking years down the line. And so that is the lesson of investing. And you got it so strongly here. Basically, what the CEO of Chipotle did, his name's Brian Nickel. And he basically said, and I think I'm more or less quoting here, is that he could easily see a future where Chipotle more than doubles their revenue to over $10 billion, right? A future yeah. out there where we more than double our revenues. Now, look at the difference uh, between people who are uh, investing for the next quarter, which is 95% of the fund managers that are managing your money are looking at Chipotle for the next quarter, mm -hmm. all right? All of a sudden, they don't have any information about the next quarter. So they've just made a lot of money. If they got into this thing where we did, they've just made a lot of money. It went up from you know three, 260 to 460. It's like an 80% return in less than a year. They're going to take their money off the table. They're going to, if there's any uncertainty about the next quarter, the next half year, they're just going to take the profit off the table as a standard way of doing business. Oh, I don't know what's going to happen for the next six months. All right, money's coming off the table. All right, I just made a profit. And the mm -hmm. shares went down 9% on that, on that lack of news about what's going to happen in the next quarter. Now, to us... That's insane. That makes no sense whatsoever. Here the CEO is saying, we're gonna double our revenues. I'm giving you information that over the next while, we're gonna double our revenues, which is all I really wanna know. Are you gonna be more productive in 10 years than you are today? Now from mm -hmm. that point, I wanna know what price to pay. And we have discussed this at enormous detail in uh, Invested, the book Invested. Um, that we just came out with. And if you're just joining the podcast and just getting to this place, go get that book. And it's a, it's a fundamental uh, primer for doing rule one investing. It's really good. And in fact, on that, Dad, I think we hmm. should go more into what we talk about in the book with pricing evaluation because we could use some examples around that. I think I've been getting a lot of questions from people about that. So you guys who have been sending in your questions, I'm hearing you and we're going to 
um, do some stuff on that on this podcast. All right, let's do that. We'll we'll come back at that next time. Um, let's wrap this right now by just saying that a 9% drop on news that you're going to double your revenue is uh, a pretty good example of the short-term view of the world out there. Um, and it uh, encourages me that I can really maybe uh, force the sale of my stock and buy it back cheap, which would be awesome. <laughs> Back and I often. might just do it. So and there um, we go. Never to be discussed again. Never to be. All right. We're not going to take any more. You can ask us questions, but we won't answer them. No, I'm kidding. We'll, we'll try to answer them. All right. All right. Let's wrap it up. Time to go play. Thanks, everybody. Bye. Bye. What am I up to this summer? I'm hitting the road. Next stop is Birmingham, Alabama, because I'm taking my three day transformational investing workshop to the Renaissance Resort on July 20th to 22nd. And here's the best part. I am giving a free scholarship to all the Invested Podcast listeners. So come and meet fellow Rule One investors and learn my personal strategies for picking great companies to invest in. It's gonna be a great weekend. Claim your free scholarship at ruleoneinvesting.com. Everything discussed on this podcast is either my opinion or Danielle's opinion and is not to be taken as investing advice because I am not your investment advisor, nor have I considered your personal situation as your fiduciary. This podcast is for your entertainment and education only, and I hope you enjoy it. And just figure this out on your own after we teach you to invest. Until next time, go play.